Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the NWSL Abuse Sports Business Podcast. The Sporting Kings. Once again, you went literal. All right, so everybody knows where we are. <laughs> I didn't want to sound too excited either because this is obviously <laughs> yeah, no, obviously not, a, not, yeah, yeah, uh, not yeah. a positive topic at all. Scott. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I here we go again. Uh, I, I just man, oh man. Well, at least we have the finally you know the, the report is in. And apologies, but I know Eben, you said you can't hear it, but there is a stump grinder outside doing its thing. So if there is any whirring and whizzing, everybody knows what it is. There's a, my neighbor is having a stump ground. <laughs> I almost said grinded. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right. So shortly before we're recording, Evan, we get the we get the report. Uh, Sally Yates, former deputy attorney general, doing report for U.S. Soccer uh, on the NWSL. And amazingly to me, I mean, the findings are not surprising at all because we've heard so many stories over what it's been about a year now, right? It's been, it's been a long time. Surprising to me is just how pervasive this was, the abusive atmosphere, how known it was, how condoned it was, how covered up it was. I mean, the, the anecdotes that stood out with me, and then I'll let you go wherever you want, but the anecdotes that stood out with me is that one coach got fired because he was um, he, he was having a consensual but sort of coercive relationships. So he get he gets fired, and then he signs on with a new team, and the old team says nothing. I, I please explain this to me. Just ex- explain this to me. In, in any way you can. And the other one where the coach says to the player, come on in, I want to go, I want to go over a game film with you and puts on pornography instead and then proceeds to you know, abuse the player. And, you know, she, she leaves the session, she gets picked up by her teammates and she's in tears. I, I mean, you read these stories and you're like, this, this is beyond belief, yet it seems to be like the, the, the culture from a, and again, scary from a young age. The stories of abusive coaches from a young age in, in girls' soccer. I, I think my takeaway is, is is the same as yours. I think it would be the same takeaway for anyone who read the report. It is it is jarring how many coaches, how many franchises, how many various team owners are, are mentioned in here as being aware of, being made aware of what was going on and not taking requisite actions. Leadership within U.S. soccer, Scott, the former president of U.S. soccer, former head coach of the women's national team, 
both mentioned in this report. It is it is a pretty shocking, both the allegations and I think maybe even more specifically, the, the, the lack of accountability taken by people in leadership positions who were reportedly, according to people who, who were interviewed by this law firm and interviewed by Sally, reportedly, re- repeatedly made aware of what was going on. Uh, it's it's really ugly. And, and, and you mentioned that the here we go again some of this all stems back to reporting that has come out in the past couple of years about specific coaches and specific franchises within NWSL. But this is the most detailed, comprehensive look we've gotten at the league, at other parts of U.S. soccer ecosystem, and, and the many different levels of complicity here by various people in leadership. Yeah, also struck, and when you get specific, uh, when it was mentioned in the report about the Portland Thorns, yep. that Merritt Paulson... Um, tried to obfuscate, tried to um, delay. You know, they actually tried to say this was work product, and they didn't want to make executives available. So they actually tried to to interfere with the investigation after putting out a statement saying, "Of course, we'll cooperate fully." And you have to wonder, right, right now, what sort of pressure is what we saw from the you know the Phoenix Suns, right, that the league meted out a punishment that wasn't again. You and I, I think, both know what was really going to happen there, that Adam Silver was buying time and that that uh, Robert Sarver was never going to own this team past that one-year suspension. However, at this time, you wonder what is going to be the reaction of Jessica Berman and the NWSL and, and the other owners involved. Would they push to remove a franchise from an owner? And I think the players, the sponsors, the union, we've all seen this play before in the NBA that had so much impact when the players were like, I'm not doing it. I'm not playing for this coach. I'm not playing for this owner. I think we might see that again here uh, because of how pervasive it was and the fact that they tried to actually interfere with the investigation. I would argue we've seen that playbook in the past 18 months in the NWSL specifically, right? Jessica Berman, you mentioned new commissioner. She's a new commissioner because the job became available because of the fallout of some of the earlier versions of some of this coaching abuse that came out. We've talked on this show, Scott, a bit about NWSL valuations. One of the iterative jumps we saw in that process in the past two years was the sale of the Washington Spirit. $35 million deal to Michelle Kang. Uh, she was a minority investor for a while, but but again, that control stake came on the market because of the fallout of this last year's uh, or two years ago's abuse scandal. So, and in that, all you mentioned the players, Scott. There were NWSL players who were refusing to play. Right there was there was a huge player led movement to inspire change because of some of the earlier versions of of, of this investigation or, or, or these series of allegations. So, yes, I think there's there, there's probably a lot on the table, and the NWSL has proven willing, at least in the past 18 months, to take some of those more drastic steps. The, the timing we should also talk about here, obviously, there's, there's no good time for this to come out, but NWSL weathered a lot of the earlier... Uh, a lot of those earlier exposés, as I mentioned, the valuations soaring, as we said, they inked a big, a number of big sponsorship deals, including, I believe, a league record deal with Nike on the heels of that season. Uh, their, 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 their media deals are coming up relatively soon. From what I understand, they've either started or are about to start that process. There's an expansion sale going on, which we've also talked about. There's a whole lot of business tailwinds behind NWSL right now. And I think the challenge after this report resurfaces a lot of pretty ugly things is, is how do you deal with and, and properly handle 
all of the problems that, that, that come out within this report without stunting the, the really great commercial growth that this league has seen over the past two years. Well, and I've been told, though, on the macro level, I've been told when it comes to dollars and cents that the league is still losing a lot of money. So, you, you know, you do wonder yep. amid that backdrop, you know, this is these are self-inflicted wounds, right? You, you said you have some tailwinds. Great. Um, you, you have we have World Cup coming to North America. You, you have this prominence of women's sports right now. You see that these mass eyeballs going to women's sporting events, you have some real momentum. You have some investment in women's sports from some big name folks. We'll get to that in a minute. All those tailwinds and then self-inflicted wounds like this, uh, you, ju- you just have to shake your head. Ju- just the behavior is sickening. The, the, it's the cover-up is, is sickening. You, you wonder what uh, what is going on? Like, What is the motivation behind this behavior from, I mean, I think we've seen like coaches yell at, you know, whether it's NFL, NBA, you want to talk male players. We've seen abusive coaches in male sports as well. I mean, we, we, we've seen that. Um, I mean, we're going back a long ways. Um, but you, you, ju- you just wonder like story after story. And the fact that so many of these players seem to have a story like this or are not surprised at all. Or have wondered, geez, what do we have to do? We called it to the attention of the team, the owner, the league. The, like, what what has to be done here for this to be an acceptable work environment? Uh, if you, you think this is sort of a line of demarcation, like everybody is. Although you know, you would have thought that with some some other leagues and some behaviors, right? But I I, I just have to think that this this is an, an important day in the future. Of the league because this is this is going to be clear that the players will not tolerate, the union will not tolerate, the league will not tolerate, the sponsors will not tolerate that if you wish to have a league, this has to change here and now. I think it's a good point that this is almost nothing in here is is obviously not unique to women's soccer or unique to the NWSL. You mentioned Sarver. We we, we have plenty of evidence in, in, in big, big time men's sports of owners behaving poorly. What happened with the Blackhawks in the past year is a, is a staff employee who was sexually abusive of, of, of players. We've had abusive executives before we've had people turning a blind eye when they were told of, of some of the stuff, not nothing in here is, is in any way, uh, unique or indicative. And by of, the way, you mentioned the Blackhawks, but you remember the excuse or the reason I'll say, given you know why that video guy was not bumped out of the Blackhawks or not. Well, remember, you know, hey, things were going well in the playoffs. We thought we had <laughs> yeah, a chance they were, they at Stanley Cup. Stanley Cup you know, things were going well in the playoffs. We 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 can't worry about what this guy's doing over here. I mean, we, we're we're in the playoffs and we're playing well. Why do we want to want to upset that apple cart? And to, if that mindset does not change, and where do you, I mean, Evan? I always say it, ha- it does come from the top. I'm a huge believer in that culture, particularly in professional sports. That owner has got to be present, has got to know what's going on, has got to set the tone. Uh, we saw that with the Dallas Mavericks, right? What happened with the Mavs? I mean, Mark Cuban came out and said, you know, I-, I didn't know, and the investigation sort of bore that out that he wasn't around. He did. He just didn't know what was happening. And I think it's incumbent upon owners to be around and to know what's happening so that this does not happen. 
I also wonder what we'll see in the next couple of days, coming weeks, how much fans, what their reaction is here, how much they want to hold individual teams or the league wide uh, individual owners, how they want to kind of distribute out their, their, uh, their blame and their accountability. But, but it's certainly corporate partners and fans and players are probably the three biggest entities here where depending on how fervent the reaction is and how far those groups are willing to go, will probably have a big impact on what actually happens in terms of fallout after this report. Yeah, this is at a time, by the way, of, and I'm, I'm not just going to put this under female empowerment. I'm going to put this under athlete empowerment. For we, sure. have, we have seen athletes, both male and female, flexing in a way that we have not seen in the past, at least not in, in a collective way. And we saw it with the Atlanta Dream in politics. We see it with the Phoenix Suns. We saw it with the Clippers uh, and the Donald Sterling affair. Interestingly enough, with Chris Paul, who's now with the Phoenix Suns, who was, of course, very active in the Players Association. So, uh, yeah, I think players are really grasping control of their futures. And they understand the collective power they have, both, both as agents of change and by the way, and you know, we've talked about this many times, as agents of revenue generation, they see in an all-encompassing world, players are realizing that as a collective unit, they have a lot of power. And there are leagues where players have less power, like Major League Baseball. There are leagues where the NBA, for example, where players seem to have a lot of social power to, to, to exhibit change. I would argue, Scott, there is not a single league in America where the players are a bigger brand and, and bigger IP relative to the league and teams than in the NWSL. These are the, the, the same women that compete for uh, World Cup titles, the same women that compete in the Olympics. I think if you were to ask a lot of American sports fans if they could name more women's national team members or men's national team members, I think a lot, a lot of sports fans in America would be able to name more women's USWMNT players that, that then players on the men's side, the women in the NWSL have so much power uh, relative to the popularity of, of the league and the brands of the teams themselves. So all of that that you just said, I would argue is even more heightened in this specific league just because of the popularity of the U S women's national team. Do I tell my story of being out to dinner and bumping into some players on the Gotham? You know, yeah, I, I, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just out to dinner in, uh, in Montclair, New Jersey and, the next table, I, I see the waiter taking some picture. I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, clearly, you know, two women having dinner, and the waiters come over, take some picture, and then I look over. I'm like, I recognize one. I didn't recognize the other, but one was Ali Krieger, you know, former sure. member, right, of the of the U.S. Women's National Team play. They play for the Gotham. So you know me. I just went over. I I, I said, hey, how you doing? Just this is you know, I'm Scott Soshnick, editor in chief of Sportico. Uh, you know, we do a lot with women's events. Uh, you guys should come. But so I sat down. I actually called Jessica Berman, the commissioner of the NWSL, put her on speakerphone. Hey, I'm here with a couple of your players. So it was just a little thing. She, you know, she picked up and we had a little conversation with the three of us, which was fun. But I will tell you, they were really engaged. They were members of the lawsuit for equal pay. And there was almost this, this understanding that at whatever age, uh, you know, that they were. They're not the 22-year-old. They're not Trinity Rodman. Okay, we'll say that. They understood that they were doing this so that things would be better for the women that came after them. They understood that I'm not getting rich now at this stage of my career, but they felt and compelled, they were compelled to, to make it better 
for the next generation. I get a funny feeling that that that's what this is about. I mean, of course, just the straight up behavior is awful, but there is that there is that feeling among these women that they want to make it better for the younger players, for those who come next, so that they don't have to endure the crap that these current players have. And to put a bow on that, I would imagine that if that table next to you was instead the three most famous players on the New York Red Bull, that you probably don't recognize a single one of them and probably don't go over to talk. Only if Tyler Adams, is he still on Red Bull? I mean, I think he's over here now. But Tyler Adams was with Red Bull, and that's because uh, my wife went to high school with Tyler's father. Got it. Okay. So before people knew who Tyler was, she was saying, hey, do you know this kid? Like, he's, he's really good, and I know the father. Anyway, so I, I wouldn't want to take your money on a bet that way. I think that would be unfair. Right, let's stick with women's sports, but this time on the investment front. Our friend John Petrikov, you know, founder, co-founder of, with Jonathan Soros of uh, Athletes Unlimited, all women's sports. Uh, I like the fact that he's branching a whole bunch of sports, right? It's not just one. That's going to be his advantage, that there is this unique interest in women's sports. He's got volleyball. He's got softball. He's got basketball. You know, all in one under lacrosse, one roof. Yeah. But yeah, but the cross. But he took a thirty million dollar investment among those in the round. Um, Kevin Durant and David Blitzer. You know, David Blitzer, of course. Uh, I, I mean, how many breaths do you have to take to say what Blitzer's involved in these days? <laughs> first, a lot. first person to be an investor in all five. Right? Is that is that what we wrote when, yeah. when he finally sealed up if the there's Guardian? There's another state? one out there, and no one's been able to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. You know, the, these are, and I, I believe they they were around in other women's sports as well. Same too, Blitzer and Durant uh, in, in a volleyball league. So, I mean, we just keep seeing. Well, how would you describe it? I mean, is it is it a drumbeat? Is it more than a drumbeat? Is it a growing drumbeat? What, how would you describe the investors and the investment that we are seeing in women's sports? Yeah, I think, and the business, right? Because a lot of these investments are happening because the business is are taking off. David Blitzer, who you mentioned just bought Real Salt Lake, is about to become uh, an owner of uh, an expansion franchise, NWSL expansion franchise in Utah as well. The the the, the and 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 a lot of the the buzz again. Going back to NWSL for a second, that we're talking about is because these businesses are are growing. Angel City has a fantastic business, and and they're the most valuable club in NWSL, and they're raising money at that number. Because the revenue is is exploding, so so yeah, I think it's smarter, and, and a lot of investors who who want to jump into this, they see where fans are going, and also they see the revenue that these are generating. And we've had a number of people on this show, John Patrickoff of Athletes Unlimited being one of them, who, who really believe that if you invest more in women's sports, there's so much more commercial value that is going to be coming. And David Blitzer and Kevin Durant. Uh, Angela Ruggiero is involved in this as well. These are all people that when they give money to something, it, it opens some eyes. So no question, the, the the amount of people here, the amount of money, $30 million for a group that just started operating, I think in early 2020, Scott, a lot of things in here that are just indicative of, of what we're seeing broadly in the market. We had a great South by Southwest last year, but I still think my favorite moment was Alexis Ohanian. Uh, he's the principal investor for Angel City. When he was talking about the meetings he had with venture capital firms, mm-hmm. trying to get them to invest in Angel City, the idea of Angel City, and he's like, these predominantly men sitting around the table, like they would throw money at me for anything you know tech related that I had, like sight unseen, didn't even know. Just here, here's here's you know twenty million bucks, fine. I brought up women's sports. I had all the data. He said I could bring all the data to the table as to why this was the smart investment. And he couldn't get him to fork over anything. 
They just were they just were not interested, and you, you wonder now if they're kicking themselves, <laughs> missing the boat on getting in on Angel City at at, at the bottom uh, at the bottom. They floor probably there. are, and and for folks who are curious about Athletes Unlimited, I, I do recommend you listen to the interview that we did with John. It was probably eight or nine months ago, but they're approaching this from a, a kind of a unique way than than a lot of the upstart sports leagues that we've talked about on the show or that exist right now. It's very player partnership driven. Uh, there's elements of it that are structured almost like a, a fantasy league as opposed to a a, a a central franchise league like you see in other places. They have a fairly unique media strategy. It's actually a fairly compelling and interesting business model, very much tailored to the way in which sports the fans fan of to today. Be, exactly. The way in which people are consuming sports and, and, and the way in which they want to watch them. And I imagine, Scott, you mentioned volleyball, softball, basketball, and lacrosse. If things go well, I imagine this is not going to be uh, the, the last four sports that Athletes Unlimited does. And maybe this $30 million is going to go towards maybe expanding it a bit as well. So th- there's a lot of innovation, and we've talked about it on this show, a lot of innovation happening at smaller sports leagues around the country. Athletes Unlimited is definitely one of those that is charting its own path, building a slightly different business model than people who are just friend- fans of the NFL or NBA might be familiar with. Uh, and, and it'll be fascinating to see how much, one, how successful they are, and two, how much of these things they're doing eventually find their way into the bigger, more established multi-billion dollar leagues as well. All right. Here's my stretch on a segue. Blitzer owns a baseball team, Major League <laughs> Baseball, and the Guardians, the soccer, you know, Angel City's in LA, in LA baseball team, Angels. Angels <laughs> are for sale right now, and yet they locked up Shohei Otani for 30 million bucks next year. If I am the prospective owner, of the Los Angeles Angels, do I care that they just spend $30 million of my money on Shohei Otani? I think the thing... Yes, I think you care a little bit. I think the thing that is no, maybe I don't. More, I'm like, good, <laughs> lock him up. I want him. To, if you would have let him go, I'd be annoyed. Well, this is yeah. That's the point I'm going to make is that this is an arbitration hearing, right? And and these things can very can often get extremely contentious where you have players who are sitting in a, in a courtroom while the team is arguing why they don't deserve how could you any more argue? money this, than they this, want. This I would have liked to have been a part of. Show me the arguments against <laughs> Shohei Otani. That's like, how do you want to sit across the table from Aaron Judge this season and be like, eh, you know, you know, amount of time you, uh, you struck out on uh, June 27th in the eighth inning? Come on. I, I, mean, I he, agree. And, and we have seen a lot of times in the past that, 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 drag out, knock down bloody arbitration battles, sour the relationship between a team and a player. If I'm someone looking at the angels, I really like the idea that this didn't get to that point that you're, you've, the angels have agreed to pay Shohei the most money. I think any arbitration player has ever gotten before. He is a transcendental player. And I imagine that whoever it is that buys the angels will want to keep him in Los Angeles. Did so you mean you have to be watching like a hawk the relationship and the tenor of that relationship between Shohei and the angels. And this seems like a really positive step in that direction. Was it transcendent, not transcendental? Transcendent? Uh, he's both. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's both. <laughs> anyway, he's getting 30 million bucks in 2023. By the way, this year, five and a half mil. The biggest one year jump in Major League Baseball history from five and a half to 30. And by the way, he's still underpaid. And you, yeah, you understand how these arbitration hearings work. A lot of times they are about comparisons between other players of comparable stats and what they're getting paid, et cetera. I don't even know how you begin Incomparable. to. Incomparable, right. How do you begin uh, to Cy figure Young out. Your Cy Young pitcher and your MVP batter. 
right. are the same player, right? Like, how do you even begin to figure out what a, what a comp is in terms of what other players are producing and what Shohei Shohei is producing and what he deserves to get paid? So, yeah, I think in in the overall, this is a, a good deal for the Angels. It's a great deal for Shohei, and I think it is a very good thing for whoever it is that buys the Angels at the end of this year or early next year. Yeah, think about what Aaron Judge had to do to sort of maybe push a little bit of the spotlight away from Shohei Otani. Like think about the season he had to produce chasing tying Roger Maris as of now, you know, just to put a, a little a, a race for the for the AL MVP. All right, NFL, guess what? Guess what the NFL is dealing with? Head trauma issues. Issue. Yeah. Head <laughs> trauma issue. I, again, when you're like, how are we here again? How are we here again? What what is the north star? What is the guiding principle if you're uh, if you're a coach, if you're a team doctor, what what is the guiding principle? And I mean, we have a focus on Tua and the Dolphins, of course, because you know he was hurt, he had head trauma. Then they brought him back four days later on a Thursday night game. Another, they've already said he's out for this week's game uh, against the Jets. And in the NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to to take another look at the protocol, the health and safety protocol that has to change. I just don't understand how we're still here. How are we here again? I typically roll my eyes at anything when when NFL fans who are sitting on couches say, this was so blatantly obvious, even I could tell what was going on. This is one of those instances, Scott, where this was so blatantly obvious that what happened to Tua was a head problem, that he should have gotten a more thorough investigation, that maybe he should not have been playing four days later after stumbling around. I'm not sure there's a whole lot of maybe. I mean, we knew he had a head issue. There's no, I'm not sure there's, in, in the world, of neurologists, I'm not sure you're going to find many who would couch it with a maybe he shouldn't have played. hundred percent. So this is maybe the rare instance where I agree with sports fans who are talking about how obvious things were to them sitting on their couch. Uh, but this is a really ugly incident in in what is continually, obviously, a, a thorn in the NFL side and something that they need to continue to or maybe even take more seriously. Um, but but just the visual of him in both games, stumbling around and being lifted up by linemen as he walked down the field. And then obviously the, 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 the crumpled fingers held in front of his face when, when, when he was tackled on Thursday night, both of those things are, are not the images that the NFL wants for any player, let alone a, a potential future league star, young quarterback on a, on a team that's drawing a lot of attention. All of this is a, is a really bad look for the league. And it's a really bad look for the Miami Dolphins as well. All of the ammunition that Chris or uh, yeah Chris Nowinski would would need, you know he, he's from the Concussion Foundation over at BU, the CTE Center, former wrestler. Uh, I mean, he was all over social media, just railing Bef- before the, the Thursday night game. Yeah, yeah, before just railing. Yeah, he said like, no way he should play Thursday. So yeah, so he he was. This is not. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. This is not rearview mirror. This is objects are closer than they appear. Like he, he was all over, and he said, "Man, this like he said somebody should get arrested." You know, Tua should look at Mike. By the way, Mike McCann wrote a column on Tua's options. I mean, this is collectively bargained, so he's he's got a, a tough road to hoe in any sort of legal claim against the NFL or the team should he decide to do that, which he has not mentioned any inclination of doing so. But just in case you're wondering, go read that from Mike McCann. Uh, and again, but I will say again, I go macro level from the effect on the NFL's business. It's it, To me, it's another big yawn. I do not know what it will take for NFL fans, if anything, for NFL fans to turn their attention away from the TVs on, help me now with the nights the NFL is on. I, I can do Sunday, and th- Sunday, Monday, 
Thursday, Amazon can do all by myself. The occasional Saturday, right? It's not just the appointment viewing on Sunday anymore. But I mean, it is such appointment television behavior, the pregame shows, the sports radio throughout. I have no idea what Americans would do to fill their time if they did not have NFL football. Would more books get read? Would more catches be had in the front yard with father and daughter and father and son and mom? I have no idea. Or would they just sit around and talk about the good old days when they had NFL football? If I told you, Scott, that the that the two a tackle on, on Thursday night and the subsequent kind of mini seizure it seemed like he had on the field was the most watched highlight of the NFL's week yep. three action, would that surprise you at all? Nope. Wouldn't surprise me either. And and I say that to say that this is kind of always and will continue to be the tough paradox for the NFL here, right? For for so long, the NFL and all these other leagues, NHL included, were, they were selling highlight tapes of the hardest hits, right? These, these are highlights that people want to see. The inherent violence of the game is one of the principal draws, I believe, for millions and millions of Americans to watch the NFL. And the league has to both recognize and in some ways embrace the violence of the game while also trying to police it and make sure things like what happened with Tua, which are obviously so egregious and so far beyond that line and and extremely preventable also, that those don't happen. So yeah, I think there's a, a central paradox here that will continue to be a part of football probably forever. All right, I'm gonna go a little erudite here. Did you watch 60 Minutes last night? I did not watch 60 Minutes. You did Minutes not. Last night. I was watching 60 Minutes. John Wertheim did a great piece on the first black captain of the spring box. Hmm. You know, South Africa's rugby team. Rugby. Yeah. And watching these guys, and, and you know, he's at a he's at a match with John, and these guys are getting just crushed all and they're laughing, and he's like, Yeah, it, it's legal violence. You know, it's it's legalized, it's just condoned violence. And then after the game, we all we're all gentlemen and that's it. But man, watching that stuff, these guys get laid out it's it's unbelievable I mean, this is the part in the show where our producer matt whitehurst should just cut to russell crowe and are you not entertained like if you can do that matt if you're listening are you not entertained are you not entertained but again on the macro we just want to be entertained like nobody cares if anybody else gets hurt and their lives are like yeah it just doesn't it doesn't matter i just don't think it matters to fans i really really don't i don't know if i'm right but my my antenna tell me they just don't care you no, I think that's right. Again, I think it's it's, it's proven out by just how, how many times this has, has come up. The one area, and it doesn't affect the NFL at all, I do think it is affecting youth participation. But sure. The, the that's insularity. why flag football they're so high on. But by the way, you know, that's why the NFL is pushing flag football. Get, get everybody involved globally. And, and given that there are 100 college football programs that are huge businesses right now, the insularity the NFL has from real participation affecting its business, I think is actually uh, is decades, if not centuries away from affecting them. All right. You said insularity. If I said jocularity, would, what TV character would you come with? Jocularity. Mm-hmm. Many of our I older didn't. listeners right now are going, nothing. I say Father Mulcahy to you. Anything? I, that means nothing to me. All right. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to do the Twitter poll. Uh, who understands jocularity and father Mulcahy. I got to do some Googling first, Scott. (laughs) You can do some Googling, but let's, let's see how many of our listeners understand that because this is the difference in our ages. Anyway, even though you're getting older, he is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. I mentioned already Matt Whitehurst, our producer. Let's see if he listens to the show and gets our Russell Crowe line in there. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network.